Welcome back, everybody, to our fourth episode of Time to Shine. Uh, my name's Adrian. Uh, I'm also known as Northern Star on Twitter. And fear not, I am not joined alone. I have my faithful friend Mike here with me. Hello, Mike. That is right. Hello, my friend. It is uh, it is I, Mike, the buried truck, uh, back to talk about a very special segment uh, of yeah. the Shining Time Station history. Today. Do you mean it's? Do you mean a very special special, Mike? A very special <laughs> special. <laughs> Sorry, not to use a hit era term, but. <laughs> we had to sneak that one in there somewhere guys. sadly we did yes sorry that's the last one we promise <laughs> or so we think or so we think yes so so far we have given you guys a little taster of seasons one two and three and we are zooming forward in time now to 1995 and looking at the very first family special um that graced the screens very a very exciting moment for shining time station i feel yeah, I agree. This was definitely the biggest undertaking for the series so far. And uh, really just, you know, I think it's a these four family specials definitely feel like the culmination of everything they had kind of learned throughout the making of, you know, the previous three seasons. And it definitely feels like they they really nailed it with all of these ones and they were able to further experiment and expand on the world that they had been building. I agree. And it's. It's interesting. I mean, they to me, I, I didn't actually grow up with any of them except for one. I saw one of the family um, at at some point, but I was I was a bit older, I think, and it didn't totally register with me. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember reading a, a newspaper article recently announcing these four family specials, and it was a big deal at the time. It was basically like four small films. They're you know hour long. Um, like we've been talking about, they were filmed outdoors, which was new for Shining Time. Um, it seems like, yeah, the bigger budget uh, overall. We get new, you know, not only new locales, but new kind of new sets and, and new characters. And it it feels quite fresh to me, especially yeah, yeah. coming back to it and like watching, for example, we're doing Once Upon a Time today and I hadn't seen that and I only watched that. Uh, last year, I think, for the first time. And it was a treat. It was like just having a little sequel to all the, you know, lovely seasons I grew up with and being like, oh, there's everyone. There's the station one more time, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it definitely feels like... It it definitely feels like it's bigger. I mean, I didn't know this until, you know, the recent uploads that that Joseph did on his YouTube channel. But uh, these four family specials had financial backing from Amtrak. They certainly so, did. I mean, that right there really shows you just how much, you know, push they were getting and and the resources they had at their disposal. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you know, it, it's strange because it's still Shining Time Station. It still feels like Shining Time Station. But at the same time, it just feels so much more colossal than yeah. Shining Time Station that we had seen up to this point. And I think in a big part, that is because of those outdoor scenes and what they were able to do to expand just a little bit further beyond the station. It really just opens up the world so much more. 
Yeah, it does. It does. And then you get the excitement that goes along with that. Because I think that's what I felt watching it now. I was like, oh, there's, you know, it's just, it's fast paced. It's different. There's chases. You know, there's that kind of action. So to add that level, but you still have the down home feel of the station down home. <laughs> down home apple pie. <laughs> so like, down home. A, so it was such a weird expression. But it's funny when you <laughs> mentioned Amtrak, because I was just about, I was just about to say this primetime one hour family. <laughs> Time Station Family Special is brought to you by an underwriting grant from Amtrak, America's blah blah railroad. Because I heard that so many times. I know, I know. That was it's the perfect announcer voice too. I bet that was the guy who probably did the announcements for Amtrak. I know, I know he's that kind of deep voice, but um, I'll change for Cloggyville. <laughs> oh man. It's it's really sweet to see everyone back and it's only it's nice because it's only been a couple of years. So you can tell that folks are like not older, but like a little older. Um, mm-hmm. but everyone's still in their kind of old comfy roles and we get all the lovely supporting cast back. Um and yeah, we in terms of what we're looking at today, we thought it'd be fun to start with the first family special. Um, as part of the, our little taster series to start with, and then we could loop back around to the other ones when we are uh, when we get there, and however many months it takes for us to go through <laughs> the whole series. <laughs> exactly. Minus the yeah, ones it's going to be a big done. undertaking. That's it, right? <laughs> what are you doing, Mr. Conductor? I'm trying to wash this stain off the mural. Can't you just get rid of it with some magic? I don't have that kind of magic on me today, but I do have. A star from the wishing well. Isn't this exciting? Everybody's going to be dressed up for Founder's Day. I love history. I wish this stain would vanish. I wish I could meet a real cabbie from a long time ago. For just one day. What were you saying, Becky? Oh, I was just thinking. No time to think. There's work to do. First, we have to go outside and wake up the butterflies or they'll sleep all day. Then we have to water the ink blotter. And I think I saw a cobweb in the tool shed that needs restringing. So we start off the special and it is Founder's Day at Shining Time Station. And Becky is there with Mr. C and he is cleaning the mural and he... Uh, she says, well, why don't you clean it with magic? There's a stain he's trying to get rid of. And he says, well, my magic's not powerful enough, but there's this wishing star I have. And he pulls it out and wishes for the stain to go away. And then meanwhile, um, Becky is just sort of uh, pondering and saying, oh, I love history. I wish, you know, I wish I could meet a real life cowboy. Um, and somehow Mr. C doesn't notice. That. <laughs> and he doesn't really hear her. And um, she wishes this cowboy on the mural, the one who's just on the archway to the left by the, racing by the train um, wishes him to life and then all of a sudden there he is Ned Kincaid uh, played by Ed Begley Jr. galloping valiantly through the countryside uh, quite dramatically with very rousing music uh, so that kind of sets uh, all the, the kind of the whole story into motion quite quickly um, much like a train taking off in the station. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, and then we have a whole bunch of different subplots. So at the station itself, we've got the kids who are trying to raise money for a school field trip. So they're dressed all in their Founder's Day garb, and they're, they have a little face painting stand, which Schemer kind of comes up and makes fun of. And <laughs> he says one of my favorite lines um, when they talk about field trip. He's like, why don't you go in a field and trip? 
and it's so corny <laughs> but it's so good um and meanwhile schemer himself is preoccupied with winning the founder's day costume contest so of course he is putting up posters very similar to tis a gift um when he's trying to win uh the role of santa's helper and stacy comes and scolds him for his actions and schemer more hurt than usual, just kind of remarks that he feels a bit unwanted. Um, and then in the meantime, uh, Ned Kincaid, the cowboy, he gets kicked off his horse when the horse sees a tractor. He hurts his arm um, and bumps into Stacy, who's <laughs> collecting wildflowers in a field, which feels like a very Stacy thing, I'll just say. It, it does, yes. <laughs> and she's singing. She's like, la. I mean, she sounds better than that, but <laughs> it's it's very sound of music. Yeah, it's it, totally. And she's the thing about Dee Dee is that she sells it because she's so sincere. She looks so overjoyed and just having the time of her life. Um, oh, 100 percent. Bumps into Ned is quite taken with him, I think, initially and notices that he's injured. So offers to take him back to the station to tend to his arm. In the meantime, um, Schemer gets really jealous of Ned and he starts acting really strangely and really rude towards him. Um, and then as this is happening, uh, this girl, Lily comes by, uh, the face painting stand and asks to get her face painted. Um, now she can't see, but she has like this, this sense of like when things are right and wrong and, you know, Dan's painting her face, she doesn't really like it. And then Ned comes along and he offers and she says, Oh, I really like that. Um, and so, uh, that happens and we get some jukebox music, which is quite lovely. And then what else? Uh, Schemer's antics get kind of crazier and crazier. And we get Mr. C running around the station at the same time, trying to fix people's problems, you know, um, things going wrong. Um, But he's not sure what to do about Ned when he realizes that Ned is, in fact, uh, the cowboy from the mural who was wished alive by Becky. Uh, Ned then wins the costume contest. (laughs) I guess it's not totally surprising, given that he's an actual cowboy. (laughs) It's an actual period costume. And the funny thing being, he doesn't really notice anything particularly unusual about the people in the station's outfits because they're also all dressed in period pieces. So that's kind of a funny little bit there. Of course, Schemer gets incredibly jealous of Ned. And they have this face-off, which is interrupted by Schemer's mommy. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then... Everyone's getting ready to take the Founder's Day train, and Schemer accidentally starts the engine rolling by fiddling around with controls, thinking that Stacy would love him if he was an engineer figure. Um, we then get Ned coming to save the day, the valiant, brave cowboy. Um, at this point, he knows he will disappear at the end of the day and won't be able to see Stacy, but at this one last um, very chivalrous moment, he uh, is able to uh, help stop the train right before he disappears, as Mr. C said he would. Uh, and then zoom back to the station for the kind of wrap-up. Stacy obviously um, berates or scolds Schemer for his actions, uh, the danger that it could have caused, the, the accident that could have happened, and Schemer basically says, well, you know, he was feeling neglected and, you know, like they weren't friends anymore and was really worried, and Stacy reassures him they make up. And uh, Schemer ends up donating Ned Kincaid's prize money, which Mayor Flopdinger gives him, to the kids for the field trip. So even though they hadn't raised enough money and they were really sad, they get to go in the end. Uh, and that leaves us with Stacy, who is sad about Ned's disappearance and realizing that he probably won't come back. Because I think she has a sense that it was magic. 
But then she meets one of Ned's relatives, coincidentally, <laughs> um, coming <laughs> through the station, and uh, they just have a little saunter away toward the camera. And that, that wraps up that action-packed episode. Now, I know I gave you a lot of the plot there, but a lot of things happen, and it felt good, it felt important to give kind of a thorough breakdown of all those little pieces, because they all come into play, and I think in our discussion, they'll, they'll come in for sure. Absolutely. Yes. So, whew. <laughs> take a breather after <laughs> you, you that You need one. a breather, my friend. I know. You, like, you just did a lot of work there. I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn it over to you, Mike, and ask, what are your kind of, you know, initial impressions or memories of this lovely special? Well, I mean, I think this applies for all of the family specials as well, not just this one, but I remember seeing these on TV and I don't know how many repeat airings they had, but I definitely remember vividly so many scenes from all these family specials sticking out. Uh, one of the, I mean, one of the best ones, of course, is uh, in Schemer's attempt to win Stacy over, he decides that he needs a new jukebox. And so <laughs> he buys this new fancy one, which much to his chagrin, it takes a dime rather than a nickel. Uh, and once it has played its song, he gets a frantic phone call from the jukebox band. And we get this shot of the jukebox sort of toppled on its side in a junk heap. And it, I don't know why that stuck out with me so much as a kid, but it was just part of you feel sad. It's like, no, the jukebox isn't supposed to be thrown out. It's got to stay where it is. <laughs> it's tragic. It's quite, quite tragic. It it really is. And you know what? I got to say, I, I really like what they did with the jukebox band, not just in this family special, mm -hmm. but in all the family specials. I feel like we get so much more expansion of, of their zany little world and what goes on in the jukebox. And, you know, they interact more with, Mr. Conductor and, and other people in a sense. Uh, and it's just, it's so cool to see what was essentially sort of just a, a momentary distraction, if you will, yeah. uh, from, from the main shining time plot in the series. It now feels like they're being given, you know, more appropriate screen time and they're, they're being treated as a proper little entity in addition to the station and the Thomas stories as well. I like that too because they they do have a big role in the series overall, but sometimes they can be a bit sidelined. And I hear I feel like mm -hmm. they get a bit more of the spotlight, which is quite nice because they really they're fun characters. They have interesting ways of interacting. They have interesting observations about what's happening. Um, yeah, I agree with you there, Mike. Yeah, and and as you and I had discussed before, it's interesting because in these family specials. You don't see anything from the picture machine or the anything tunnel or anything like that. It's any time that they probably would have devoted to that, it goes instead to the jukebox band. And I think that was a really smart move because I feel like after watching these specials over again, I think anything from the picture machine might have just been it might have just broken up the flow a little bit too much, you know, like, yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't think it would have been it would have felt out of place. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you say that. I didn't miss I didn't miss them when I watched no. them. I only noticed after, but you're right, and, and I think it just gives nicer consistency that we get more jukebox band presence rather than, rather than just too many different elements mixed together because we already have like we were talking about before, we have the outdoors, we have some new sets like, you know, the rat pack for the jukebox band. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's enough new to keep it fresh, but not so much that we feel bogged down so i agree i think that was a good call on the writer's part to just say hey 
let's stick with let's stick with our jukebox friends who fortunately were not thrown out but yes that scene is very disturbing and as somebody who's very attached to that that piece of history it's, <laughs> it's like oh god what? <laughs> as as someone with personal stake in the jukebox i imagine you were very troubled by that scene. very very disturbing well i would have been affected as a kid i mean as i said before i did not grow up with these specials except for one of the family which i just saw once i think um so watching it now it's just just yeah like i said i've used the word fresh but it is feels fresh it feels action-packed but it also feels like we get the same characters that we know and love mm-hmm. as well. And we get to see them in different situations. I, You mentioned Schemer and his uh, jukebox. Uh, <laughs> French Schemer is one of my favorite <laughs> bits of this episode. <laughs> where he comes in, he's like, oh, da na 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 I forget what he's saying, but it's... It is the- I, your lover, with a curl <laughs> in his hair. <laughs> well done. I know. His accent is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he like drops these dead two week old flowers um, on Dee Dee's desk, or I'm sorry, uh-huh. Stacy's desk, and she freaks out because there's a bug. Which, by the way, I don't know if that was really in character for Stacy. I feel like Stacy's a bit more badass than being like terrified of a bug. I feel like she might be I think put she off is. by it, but when she was all like, Ooh, I'm like, that's not really her. Um, <laughs> but yeah, his accent and his, his, um, he has his chest hair at one point. That's when he has the jukebox, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. his wild He-Man type threads, he calls them. <laughs> and like <laughs> Stacy's disgust when he comes through the window and interrupts them. She just looks so revolted and just walks oh, away. Yes. I, I think Dee Dee did a really good job because there's there are like one or two moments where you can see that she almost breaks um, yep. when Schemer's trying to dance with her. <laughs> 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 but uh, she did. She did. And speaking of Stacy, I'm grateful that she finally got a love story. Can I just say? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I agree. She's such a hardworking person, and you know, she never had much to do with love um, and relationships throughout the series. And the only, I think, big episode was with Schemer when <laughs> she she accidentally falls in love with him. So to see her actually have ha- get to be carried away and and flattered by somebody and interested and have a thing, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Even though it doesn't turn into anything, it still makes me happy. I don't know about you, Mike. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's a very. I used to think it was kind of out of place, especially with you know uh, the the emphasis on you know the the love aspect with Stacy and Ned, and then Schemer feeling jealous and all this. I mean, you know, aside from the obvious uh, season three episode where uh, or season two, I guess, where uh, where Stacy falls in love with Schemer and almost marries him, uh, not of her own accord. <laughs> Um, you know, there wasn't really, it wasn't really a a touched on thing. So it used to feel kind of out of place, but now when I watch it, it just, it feels really natural and it feels really nice that, you know, you see Stacy from the get go. She is the, the focused and determined station master. She just wants the station to succeed. It's nice to kind of flip it a little bit and give her sort of a, a personal side of things and give her something to be happy about in her own life outside of the station too. That's it. Because she just, she puts so much work into the station and she is kind of a mother figure that for her to have some of her own story and agency, it's like, that feels kind of empowering in a way for her. Um, I, I do understand the out of placeness or could see how you would see that as a kid. And 
initially I actually did feel like the schemer part was out of place because I was like, the schemer's mm-hmm. never been in love with Stacy, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they've been friends, rivals, but then at the end you really realize, I think when he kind of confesses that it wasn't really about like wanting to be with her and be in love. It was that he was worried about being abandoned and where like, I think the change more than anything. Oh, Stacy, you know, when Midge is going on and on, like, they get married and have babies. And I think him mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. about all the change, like what if Stacy's not in the station anymore? What if that changes my life? Him being afraid of change and then being like being an idiot, that makes sense to me. More than like him, you know, harboring secret love for Stacy and them getting together. Cause that would have felt really weird. Um that would have felt really creepy to me. <laughs> if they had like Yeah, yeah, I know? agree. And and right? you know what? It's it makes sense too in a bigger sense of things because you know, in in two ways, I guess. <laughs> One is that I think one of the strengths of Shining Time Station is that the characters have always felt very real and very human. Yes. Uh, And I think this is just another aspect of that. It's showing, you know, different sides to what people kind of go through on a regular basis and, you know, falling in love or feeling abandoned by people. And that's also something that I think is really important for the primary audience, which would be kids, especially Mm -hmm. if they're watching with their families, you know, if, if they're experiencing life changes or, you know, whatever the case may be where they fear that they might be abandoned or they might be left behind by people that they care about and value. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's a good, it's a good moral for them to learn for sure. I agree. I agree. And it's funny. I mean, you schemer always has often has these moments at the end of episodes where he has a little temper tantrum, like he kind of walks away <laughs> in a half and then, hmm. but you know, they, and I often Stacy has to be a bit of the b- b- bigger person there. So I think sometimes I'm like, Oh, schemer grow up, but, <laughs> but they do make up in the end and it is, it is quite sweet. And I do think it's a nice moral. Um, there was another component that I enjoyed just kind of going over it again today. And that was the connection between Lily and Ned um Mm -hmm. so you know just there i don't know there was a way that lily was drawn to ned and then during the whole scene with the runaway train and lily being on the train wondering about you know oh ned and she keeps touching the flower on her face that he drew just Mm -hmm. i I don't know i just that actually kind of touched me unexpectedly it was a nice little thread i thought in the story and especially um with lily being visually impaired and then you know but having this sort of um little i don't know heart connection or something uh with with Ned and then he disappears and then she I think realizes that he has interesting Mm -hmm. yeah that's a neat touch I I like what they did with that character and you know it's again it's great to have representation of of different people in this case we have you know Lily who is visually impaired um I I will say one thing that always kind of makes me chuckle is uh after the jukebox song where it shows Ned painting the flower onto Mm -hmm. Lily's face uh Kara has a line that I think she says, you know, I really like Lily. After a while, I forgot that she couldn't see. And it's like, did that really impact what you what you thought of her, Kara? Like, it, yeah. You know, like, that was the make or break? I do not like that line either. And I, that, no, that's no. the line that feels a little dated. Like, if they did it now, yeah. I don't think that would be in there. Um, and then when Becky afterwards is like, yeah, and Ned's totally cute. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> the writing was a little yeah. stretched on that in that scene. Weird, yeah. weird tonal shift there. But, <laughs> I know, uh... <laughs> I know. It's a little, a little odd. But, but on that, no, I mean, I really, I do like the way that they included Lily in this episode. And yes. I think it's, that's, it's really touching uh, during the runaway train scene where, 
she can she's touching the flower on her face and she can feel him getting closer to the train yes. and then as he disappears she has that goodbye mr kincaid line and that's it it's really that's it. touching yeah yeah and it just shows that there there are other ways to communicate um and and i think that's quite beautifully portrayed and not harped on like it's just a little like i said a little thread a little theme that's that's throughout And uh, another moment, I don't know about you, um, Mike, but this stood out for me was when Billy and Schemer realizes there's no one driving the train and they like slowly (laughs) turn their heads and they're like, ah, it's so, so over the top, but I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, it's very, uh, you know, it, it downplays the gravity of a runaway train, but uh, it, it fits so well. And I I especially love the follow-up where, you know, Stacy's telling Dan not to lean out the window and. He goes, oh, I was just, I was waving to Billy. And she says, well, that's impossible. Billy's driving the train. And then it shows the shot of Billy and Schemer just running, waving their arms. Schemer falling over, <laughs> naturally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I love it. Yeah, we got a little bit of slapstick in that, which is nice. And Billy sort of in a, Billy doesn't have a huge role in this episode, really. He's he's very much a side character. Um, but I think it is nice that Stacy gets more... Uh, Screen time, because when I think about it, actually, Billy got a lot more, well, he got a lot of focus in season three, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he he definitely got more time in season three, and and he'll get more time, uh, you know, in future family specials as well. For sure. uh, For reasons that we will go into, but um, yeah, he he very much is a side character, but I will say, you know, obviously his, his slapstick moment is very funny, very memorable, but I like that they follow it up with a very serious moment for him where he rushes into his office and he picks up the phone and he's talking to dispatch and he says, he's yelling, we have a runaway train. Let me talk to the signalman. Like, you know, it's, it, it very much underscores that yes, we had the funny moment to start with, but this is also a situation of gravity and it needs to be treated as such. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he, he's yelling on the phone. I mean, we get, yeah. it's like, oh, it conveys, okay, this is serious. Hold it! What's going on here? Excuse me, but I didn't see any coin dropped in the slot, people! What's in it for us? Sometimes you get the most out of the music you play for free, Mr. Silvers. Hit it, boys! I was going to ask you, Mike, what do you think of the jukebox band songs in this special? Well, one thing I feel that we should uh, we should include as well that we didn't touch on before with the jukebox band is that we actually get the first sort of new, um, I guess we could say, honorary member of the jukebox band in their manager, J.J. Silvers. Yes. This is his first. He was on the, uh, the Day in the Life VHS with the jukebox songs that was released, but this is his first appearance on Shining Time Station proper. It is. It is, yeah, and he's he's a very comical character. I I like what he adds. I like that he uh, 
in the first song, he mentions about how, you know, what's in it for us if we're playing when no one has put money in the jukebox, and Dee Dee comes back very in her very snide way saying, sometimes you get the most out of the music you play for free. <laughs> it's a great line. It is a great line. It really is. Um, in terms of the jukebox songs, they I think they really hit it out of the park with these ones. Um, the We have the first one, which is the Lone Star Trail Medley. Uh, that's, honestly, I think that might be my favorite of the jukebox songs. Uh, it's, ever? It's ever. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's, I've listened to the original recording, which is obviously very folksy, uh, old-timey, and I just, I love the way that they modernized it, and Rory Dodd's singing is just incredible, and it's it's just such a good song overall. It fits the vibe so well. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful one. It's a very beautiful song. It, it really is, yeah. And then, you know, to pick it up, because that is a bit of a slower one, then we get the uh, the good old Buffalo Gals medley with a nice little round. Which is and my favorite. I think favorite. that might be... Is it? Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, there we go. I was going to say, it's, it's nice because we don't often get songs where everyone from the jukebox band is singing, and we get that in the middle section. Yeah, we get a little callback with the, the, the boys boys and the girls and the, the dancing. I... I when I heard that for the first time or rewatching it, I was like, "Oh, this is really, you know." I got really, really into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think is it the first time that they all sing together since a place unlike any other? Because I honestly can't recall any other time where all of them are singing in the same song. They all sing together during Mr. Conductor's Fourth of July. Oh, do they? Yes, at the end when they're all in a row. Oh, right, 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 right. I believe. That's correct. And also, yeah, no, no business like right. show business from Mr. Conductor's oh, movie. Oh, yeah. That's right. Well. But you're right. Like, the, it, you don't see it a lot. Um, just probably in a few episodes of season three. But they're, the songs were beautifully chosen, beautifully sung. I agree with you there. Uh, and the Rat Pack. <laughs> oh, we can't <laughs> overlook the Rat Pack. They're funny. It's so... They are. It, it's really... And the little the mouth trap and the details of the set. It was They really went all out. Uh, for this, Craig and Olga and the whole Plexitune gang, and it's it's fun. It's it's a fun number. It is a fun number, and I, I really like the way that I mean, uh, obviously the uh, the aesthetic of the jukebox is different, the interior is different, uh, the overall. I mean, it, it's a very uh, very different musical feel when they do this rendition. I, I mean, I, I'm always curious to know what the jukebox band doing what's new pussycat would sound like but uh i think it's just it contrasts the regular jukebox band so well and i think they just you're right they really went all out for a very minor one-off thing buffalo gals would you come out tonight come out tonight come out tonight buffalo gals would you come out tonight and dance by the light of the appreciate that and i think had i seen it as a child i would have been excited by that by you know new set new characters and and a really kind of goofy fun song with you know you got the cat in there who's smaller than all mm-hmm. the rats which is an interesting mm-hmm. kind of twist. <laughs> um, and they uh, i was reading that 
yeah, all the all the regular Flexituners were were there performing the characters, and obviously having a lot of fun. And little details, like if you look at the top of the jukebox set or that little the rat's nest rather, it has like rats written on like a little part of the machinery <laughs> with a backwards S. <laughs> Just little touches that I saw. I'm like, oh, that's really good. Um, I, I in regards to JJ, I'm not a huge JJ fan. I must say. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate having a new character. I find him a little obnoxious, his voice. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know why that is, but he kind of rubs me the wrong way. But at the same time, he is a good kind of, not foil for the jukebox band characters, but a good contrast mm-hmm. because I think they have a lot more integrity and a lot more knowledge. Um, but it is odd that, I guess I find it odd that they would not have a manager for like three seasons and then have a manager suddenly. Yeah, I I can agree with that for sure. And I think I feel like maybe the only reason that they felt the need to bring him in to this episode is because they knew that there was going to have to be some sort of direct interaction between Schemer and the Jukebox Band. And, you know, given what we've seen in the series where, you know, the Jukebox Band don't want to be found out, they don't want to be seen by anybody, they don't want Schemer to know that they're in there. You know, maybe that's why they just needed a new voice to be that sort of liaison uh, between Mm -hmm. Schemer and the band. That could be it. Could be. And interestingly, this is the first time that Schemer ever hears the Jukebox Band speak. And not only JJ, but he hears Mm -hmm. Dee's crying and comments on it. Um, so yeah, that... and I love I love Tito's little remark too. I'll give him back the nickels. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And so it finally breaks that. But it, of course, Brian is so disconnected and nonchalant, just doesn't give mm-hmm, a you know mm-hmm. what about the both both calls that it receives for them that it ends up just being quite funny because it doesn't it doesn't it's not like he's you know has a sense of who are you and you know, where are you coming from. He's just like who is this? Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, um, I I do enjoy those little bits and and uh, the creativity of even just throwing the jukebox on the jump on, on the junk heap and then bringing the new machine in that makes these weird electronic like noises. Yeah, that's I really like that little touch because it shows you that this is like a more futuristic machine than than the jukebox itself and it kind of justifies the the price increase from a nickel to a dime and then he's schemer's like my favorite dime <laughs> <laughs> again it's so funny so we're talking about having so much money but nickels and dimes are worth so much to him that just we don't know with schemer i um, know the currency exchange in in this world is just unreal to me it's very perplexing but we will just leave that up to the world of shining time and it's magic <laughs> um, yes absolutely <laughs> In springtime, Rusty loves to visit a faraway place. It's filled with bluebells. The air smells sweet, and Rusty thinks there's no better place to be. Just to turn our attention towards the Thomas stories for a second, what do you think of those, Mike? Oh, yes, we have uh, we have some very interesting ones to talk about here. Now, yes. as you know, the family specials were... Uh, Time to coincide with the American airing of season four of Thomas. Thank so God. This was a big one. This <laughs> was the season that introduced the narrow gauge engines as well. And, you know, I think it's it's interesting because let's say for whatever reason you didn't have, you know, if you were a kid and you didn't get the VHS release that came out, 
um, this likely would have been your first introduction to any of the narrow gauge characters, uh, That's a good point. which would have been in these episodes. It would have just been basically rusty. Uh, and I feel like that's, it's really telling. Like it feels like, uh, Rusty was meant to be this sort of flagship character for the narrow gauge engines with, with how much they were involved in, in the stories and, and the rewrites that happened to sort of accommodate them with this too. Um, good old Rusty to, I, I love Rusty. Rusty is one of my absolute favorite characters. So I'm very glad we get to talk about these ones. Cause I got a lot to say. Um, to give everyone a a bit of a rundown here, the two stories we have are Rusty to the Rescue and Thomas and Stepney. Uh, Rusty to the Rescue, of course, introduces Rusty, uh, well, I shouldn't say introduces, introduces to the audience, uh, who might be watching, uh, you know, on TV with Shining Time Station, but previously Rusty had been introduced in another story in season four, but anyways, matter of semantics. Uh, so... In this case, we have Rusty traveling to a beautiful line filled with bluebells, and his driver is worried, or I I shouldn't say, I should correct myself, Uh, prior to some changes during the hit era, Rusty was actually a gender-neutral character. Yes. Uh, Whereas in the Railway series, they had been uh, considered male. There was a conscious decision here to make them gender-neutral, along with including more female characters this season. So. I will say very progressive choice for being in the mid nineties. Like it's, I can't think of any other show that really did that. Yes, I agree. I agree. It was really interesting. Yeah, so they just yeah. referred to um, them as rusty or the little diesel usually, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. It would be one or the other. Usually any mention of gender was uh, axed and ran revised in this case. So uh, yeah. So their driver uh, is concerned because the manager needs another engine to run this bluebell filled line. Uh, Rusty then has the idea to pull a Douglas and uh, <laughs> save an engine from scrap. Uh, so they travel all the way from their little railway to the other railway, and in the scrapyard, they meet a little engine called Stepney. Stepney is rescued in a very dramatic scene uh, and They are brought back to the island of Sodor, where they are saved and purchased for the Bluebell Railway. Yes. Uh, Then in the next episode, we have Stepney grateful for the opportunity to be on the Bluebell Railway, but feeling a little sad because the line is short and doesn't allow for a good long run. Uh, Luckily, the Fat Controller, or Sir Topham Hat for our American audiences, uh, has invited Stepney to come visit his engines. And uh, Thomas is a little bit off put by that because, you know, he is the famous engine with the branch line. Now there's another famous engine with a branch line, and that just will not do. Uh, To make matters worse, Stepney is given a special to pull, which means Thomas's train is shunted while Stepney is allowed to pass. But thankfully, in the end, they find some common ground and uh, all is well in the end. Now... Let's address the elephant in the room, which is uh, the episode Rusty to the Rescue itself. Yes. Now, I'm sure many people listening know, but for those who don't know, uh, Stepney is a real-life steam locomotive. Really, I would say the first real-life steam locomotive that we actually get a proper introduction to. Uh, We did have City of Truro and technically Flying Scotsman in the last season, but City of Truro was never named and never spoke. Flying Scotsman's model was not finished in time, so you only saw the two tenders. Stepney is the first 
full-fledged actual steam engine that has a model has a speaking role gets involved with the other characters and of course the original railway series volume was written to sort of promote the bluebell railway which was in its infancy Mm -hmm. Uh, and stepney's story was very much integrated into that now of course as we kind of discussed before uh brit allcroft had a different vision for sodor it wasn't meant to be specifically a british island it was meant to be sort of an anywhere island so mentioning these real places wouldn't really jive with that vision so instead the story was altered so that stepney was saved by rusty and brought to the quote-unquote bluebell railway which is technically a part of the island of sodor uh now this has been (laughs) something that's been hotly contested and is still debated amongst fans to this day whether or not this is complete sacrilege or if it makes sense uh Adrian, do you have any input on that? Do you have any strong feelings one way or the other? It's hard because um, I didn't mind it as a kid. It, mm-hmm. it, I just, I kind of liked, I just liked the episode. It, it, you know, I, I've really enjoyed hearing um, the Right on Track gang's comments on this episode because it got very heated <laughs> um, between <laughs> all of them. Um, I. I don't mind the liberties that Brit took there. Um, I I still enjoy the story. I think it's a fun adventure, even though it's exactly the same as Escape. Um, it's still fun, and I, I think for the fact that I didn't mind it as a kid, I don't I don't really mind it as much now, even though it's not very logical. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. I definitely understand you know the importance of respecting the heritage of a real life railway uh, and, you know, honoring what the story was that the Reverend Audrey was trying to tell at the same time. I do understand that changes had to be made because the TV series is a different vision compared to the railway series. Yes. I don't think it's detrimental per se. I think it, it makes sense within the TV series realm. Uh, And to be honest with you, I think that it, still much like the original railway series volume i think it still got a lot of kids interested in real life railways and led them to you know finding the real life stephanie in a way exactly Uh, so i i think if anything it just it sort of helped to build the exposure and and you know expose more people to heritage railways in general Uh, which is so key to this whole world that we are so enamored with, really. Yes. Uh, It it just, yeah, I I think, I don't think the story is disrespectful. I think it's very action-filled and very tense. I mean, those scrapyard scenes are just, nothing had really been done like that before. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I mean, I'm sure there maybe was some behind the scenes stuff that went on maybe with this story or with Bluebell Railway at some point that we don't really know about mm-hmm. and can't comment on. Mm-hmm. But in the context of this story, I think it works just in the, in the realm of a child's imagination. And uh, I always found it to be an exciting story. Again, same with the scrapyards and all the diesels waiting in line, even though we know that they're redressed, <laughs> you know, diesel and daisy. Yes. And, <laughs> but uh, it's still, it's still quite exciting. I just wanted to loop back around to your comment on the flying Scotsman model. I believe they actually chose to only make the two tenders for budget reasons and not actually intended to cl- complete the model for that. Episode. Oh, I see. Yeah. 
Interesting. I thought that they were intending to make the full thing, but they just sort of ran out of time and resources. That rumor was going around, but I believe it was intentional to just do the two tenders because they could do that relatively cheaply. And they also wouldn't have to like repaint or redress one of the engines. Like I think they were going to, well, they could have done it with Henry maybe or something, but in the end, I think they just went for the sneaky in the shed approach, but there you are. That's, that's television, baby (laughs) (laughs) budget cuts, man. Um, I do find it kind of funny, <laughs> just on the subject of this episode, there's a line that Mr. C, I don't know if you noticed this, that Mr. C says after the, after the episode, I'm just going to bring it up here. He makes a comment about Stephanie feeling ignored and all alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but he would have been scrapped. Like he just really, he, there's sometimes where Shining Time really like, um, uh, puts, puts a filter on things, a very kind mm-hmm, of sunny mm-hmm. filter. And I'm like, okay, you know, it was more than that. He was going to be torn up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think you're really conveying the seriousness, but obviously it's like, so there's, there's some moments where the, when they're drawing parallels between the stories and the stuff that's happening in the station, it can feel a little, a little forced occasionally but not that i i think these stories are well chosen and i love them in this episode um particularly because as you said mike people who watched this in january would have this would would have been the first time seeing series four because the first vhs didn't come out until uh february rusty to the rescue ah there you go see yeah i thought it was the other way around i thought the vhs came first so you see if rusty hadn't saved stephanie he'd still be feeling ignored and all alone that reminds me of schema why? Well, Schemer feels like Stacy's ignoring him because of her new friend. I see. The following is a paid advertisement for Barton Winslow's General Store. Need some gas to get to Snarlyville? How's about an ice cream cone from our freezer section? Or a rocking horse from our toy department? Well then, come on down to the Shining Time Station General Store. Everything you want in a store And a lot more That's right, folks. It's all here at the Shining Time Station General Store. Corner of Butternut and Main. Barton Winslow Provider. And don't forget our two-for-one special this week on motorcycle boots. Hi, I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme. And I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right On Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. But that, yeah, sorry, that made me chuckle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's there's certain things that they would add in before or after the Thomas story sometimes, and it would make me go, 
I don't know if that was really the point of that one. Like Henry just needs, what did you say? Like some time to oh quiet. Yeah, time? yeah. In the in the in Mysterious Stranger, Mister C. After the uh, the first Henry story of him getting shut in the tunnel, he goes, uh, "Henry will be okay after he's had some quiet time." And it's like that's not at all what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like sometimes the way Mister C tries and paints it, I'm like, "Okay, just tell it like it is." But it's the yeah, kids, just I guess get, give it to me straight. Yeah, what right. is it? You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what about the other yeah, story, Mike? And, and, and Thomas and Stephanie, I think, is a good... I mean, it's a natural follow-up, for sure. Oh, um, But uh, I think it fits this episode really well because, you know, it deals with the theme of uh, Thomas feeling overshadowed and uh, ignored because, you know, Percy's enamored by this other engine with a famous branch line and, you know, he feels that, you know, the spotlight should be on him as it usually is. Uh, so it, it meshes well with the Shining Time story, I would say. Yeah, definitely not as action filled as uh, as Rusty to the Rescue, but still a very nice episode in its own right. I mean, I, I love the scene where you see Stephanie coming into the big station where all the other engines are waiting for him. Yeah. Uh, the night scene, especially in the North American dub, because I don't know what was happening in the editing room uh, during season four, but... If you watch the UK dub versus the American dub, a lot of differences. There's a lot of missing music. Uh, sound effects and whistles are different for a lot of the engines. So I'm not sure if the Americans were using like early tracks that maybe weren't totally finished. But uh, in any case, in this episode in particular, after Thomas leaves and, and you hear that there is a commotion at the station... Uh, there's music all the way through in the UK version, which, you know, it, it suits the tone and it's it's the busy station theme that we all know and love. But in the North American version, there's no music at all. And it makes it very tense and almost kind of creepy. Yeah, it's I don't know what happened there. Some wires got crossed, I'm I'm assuming. But uh, in any case, it, it all gets resolved when, of course, you hear the familiar uh, theme tune of Stephanie himself and he comes rushing through the junction oh, uh, and then the next morning scene. you see oh, oh i love that it's one so too it's delicious. so good like his determined yes. face and the lights and the steam and the smoke oh oh yeah there's not much better than that and then it's a very nice transition to the next morning where he and thomas of course make up yeah. uh, after their their little disagreement so yeah i i really love these episodes i mean series four is I, i'm not breaking any new ground here by saying that it's my favorite season and oh. uh you know, it's just, it's a very, it's a season that feels like perpetual summertime. Yeah. You know, um, yes. it just has this warmth to it. And it has the cutest little engines in the whole world. It does. <laughs> I also appreciate that in this episode, they did a narrow gauge and then a standard gauge uh, episode mm -hmm. or kind of a mix um, so that we get like a nice introduction to this, to the narrow gauge, but still get a fair bit of standard gauge as well for um longtime thomas fans i think that was a pretty good choice i think it was too and especially when you look at the other family specials i mean you know the next one will have two narrow gauge stories mm -hmm. and then the other two will be purely standard gauge so it's nice to have one that actually does a mix of both of them so you get a flavor for sort of both sides of what season four was going for in the same shining time episode for sure yeah i almost um, wished i'd seen now, this special first before I'd seen Rusty to the Rescue, because I remember that VHS so vividly, but how exciting it would have been to see a new little engine. I would, oh, I just would have been charmed. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I think I did have sort of a similar reaction when uh, when Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales came on, because, of course, that was meant to showcase the other season four episodes that weren't in the family specials. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it just would have been I can't imagine being a kid in January of 95. And uh, the first thing you see is this little orange diesel that's smaller than all the other engines. And what sort of wonder that would have evoked. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. It's just delicious. Now, one thing I'm curious about, too, is, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but with the longer runtime, uh, does it strike you as odd that they didn't try and fit more than two Thomas stories in there, or does it make sense? Mm. It's an interesting point. I mean, for the half hours, we usually had one or two. I, I, think, I think they were smart to do two, um, because we've already got... Well, they did so three jukebox songs, two Thomas stories. I think three would have felt too crowded, or there would have been less time for the action of the story. Because let's face it, mm-hmm. these these stories are really kind of narrative heavy, and there's a lot there's a lot going on in the station and outside and around the station. And if you know, if we had three Thomas stories, we'd have less time for that. And and you know, in past seasons and episodes, sometimes the stations the station story wasn't as prevalent or it was maybe not as, yeah, there were, there were some where it felt like it was the station story was not second, but maybe it was, it was just a bit more of a uh, story. Whereas here it's just really about storytelling. It really feels storybook like um, in, in this hour, not to say that the other episodes weren't great, but I just remember a few words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I mean, it's funny because I can I can think of instances where a third story would work within these family specials. But at the same time, <laughs> how could you not? You know, how, yeah, I mean, your your mind will always wonder. But at the same time, you know, you just think of, you know, what would you have to sacrifice from the station story in order to fit that third story in? Like, yeah, especially with this episode, I can't think of anything that I would want to axe from the shining time side of it in order to make room for another Thomas story. We might've missed that glorious scene between, you know, Stacy and Ned sitting by the window mm-hmm. outside and then where schemer comes and interrupts. I, that was one of, I really enjoyed that. And if that had been cut, I would have been so sad because they could have gotten What's away with boogie Miss Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I still am just dying over your, um, Schemer accent. <laughs> it's so memorable. Like I, I gotta say, I mean, they they really made Brian shine in yes. these family specials. Like even in ones where he's not sort of a main character or the main focus, he still has so many good scenes that totally steal the show. Yeah, yeah. We get to see Brian in full form, and I I have to mention. <laughs> I love the scenes outside where he's hiding in the grass and then when he falls in the <laughs> creek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy Brian doing those kind. Of, it makes me think of a scene from an old movie, you know, where a, a couple, a romantic couple is out walking and then somebody's, you know, trying to, trying to eavesdrop or whatever and ends up getting themselves mm-hmm. into trouble. And I also find it funny that um, Stacy nor Ned noticed Schemer falling in the creek. Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mr. C rose by. Very clever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's there's definitely an element of like an old school, um, you know, 
very very long time ago movie kind of feel to yeah. uh, a lot of the scenes in these episodes and uh yeah, brian is he's a treasure let's just let's just call it as it is he's an absolute treasure we love you, i think brian. they were really we love you brian i think they were the writers really were um and and not to say that the other actors weren't integral to the whole thing and yes. and carried a lot of the stories but i think you can tell that they were really counting on brian to sort of be the glue that held everything together. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff is bridged together because of schemers actions and, you know, things that he does, like even in other family specials. I mean, I think of, you know, one of the family where the focus is more on, you know, Mr. C and his sister and Kara and Harry, even with that focus shifted away from him. So many of schemers actions drive the plot forward and keep things going even right to the very end with the go-kart race yeah you know it's just it, it feels like even when they wanted to focus on other characters they knew that they had to somehow work something of his in in order to keep things moving forward yeah and it's interesting too this story is i mean now that i think about it quite adult focused we do have the kids having a side story with raising money for their field trip but it's very secondary to the main plot and they don't mm-hmm. play a lot of a role. Funnily enough, Lily, uh, you know, a guest star, plays more of a role than Becky, Kara, and Dan do. And it's interesting, you know, they're conceptualizing these four one-hour primetime specials. And also, we need to mention, it's primetime, man. This is the first time that mm-hmm. Shining Time has been in a primetime slot. And I think they were played at 8? Eight? 8 o'clock, I yeah. think? Yeah. Uh, which is a huge change. And so we have, you know, I think it was usually morning, typically, uh, mm-hmm. th- that it was aired, correct me if I'm wrong, or more like late morning. I remember it being in the in the morning for sure. Yeah, so we get that move. And then we also, I mean, we know that Shining Time is often a family show. It's billed as that. We found um, just from hearing from Rick and Britt that a lot of, they, they knew that a lot of um, kids watched it with their parents. And then we get a story here that I think is really for the parents in some ways too, like as much as it is for the kids, because we get a love story kind of, um, there's there's all the magic and the things that kids would enjoy in puppets and silliness and pratfalls and schemer, um, but we also get I think something for everyone, and and the excitement of the chase it really feels more like a like a movie to me and and really yeah really like a family affair I think yeah and I, I think they they probably were treating it with a movie mindset and especially with you know when you think about not only the increased budget and everything that they could do. I mean, I'm sure there are so many aspects of these family specials that couldn't have been possible without that backing from Amtrak and other sponsors. <laughs> thank you, Amtrak. Um, <laughs> thank you, Amtrak, once again. Uh, but America's Passenger Railroad. <laughs> this, this episode of Time to Shine <laughs> is brought to you by an underwriting grant from Amtrak. <laughs> Side note, we are not sponsored by Amtrak. Please don't sue us. We, we have are nothing not, to do with we Amtrak. Are not. This is completely just for <laughs> entertainment purposes. This is all for a joke, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes. Um, But I also think about with the family specials, every single one has a guest star as well. It does, and uh, big guest stars. Pretty big guest stars and people that I don't know if they could have afforded them if they were just on the PBS budget, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially Ed Bigley Jr. And um, it was a big deal. And and you can, yeah, you can tell they got better funding for these and that it was a big deal. I know I was reading an article that there was a huge press announcement and like a mixer 
in Toronto here uh, when these specials were announced and uh, it was at a local, uh, I think some kind of bar um, and they had like a fancy night and all this stuff. So it was, it was a big deal and a large undertaking because these were filmed. Uh, I think they were filmed in 94 and 95. And again, there were four of them. And like we said, a lot of location shooting. So, um, you know, they were shooting in, uh, in the Toronto area, they were actually filming at a different studio than the Pharmacy Ave Studio Oasis. They were down at Shoreline, which is closer to the water. So they were filming all the interior sets down there. So that's where the Shine Time set had been set up. And then they also, uh, as we were talking about earlier, they filmed the outdoor um, train scenes at South Simcoe Railway, which is just north of Toronto. That's Not right. too far, and I've been there been there before a lovely place uh and as mike was saying mike what was the number of that engine that they filmed uh the engine that is featured in the runaway here and i believe it's i'm trying to remember if it was featured in any of the other family specials i think it might have just been this one um it was engine number 136 the steam locomotive Mm mm-hmm uh, and the South Simcoe Railway also has a little Rustin and Hornsby diesel, yes. uh, number 10 on their line, I believe. That is the diesel that was featured pretty prominently in Series 3 of Shining Time. We see it in uh, Billy's Runaway Train and Billy's Party, for starters. We'll see it again in the family specials as well. It does feature in uh, Queen for a Day, yeah, uh, I believe. And it pops and... up in Season 2 in All's Fair as well. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, we do see it there too. So, um, yeah, so they they definitely utilized what they had at the South Simcoe Railway. That's for sure. They absolutely did, uh, mm-hmm. and I think I think it was really I think it was really smart that they you know that they used local places supporting local railways. And I think for a time, probably people thought, oh, where you know where was this filmed? Um, it would bring business to them. Um, and we have some really interesting changes to the set as well the actual station set so i don't know if you noticed this mike but if you look at the back wall uh the whole wall has been lowered slightly so the blue trim that's usually at the top that we can't that is out of the line of sight at the back platform is now visible and they have also added two lamps in which are actually wired in so that that was quite a big uh quite a big difference and I actually I like, had never noticed that. Yeah, it's it once you notice you won't be able to not like unnotice it. Uh but they uh they chose to put those lo- those two little lamps and I think they add a, a lot of charm to the station and they also added a few posters as well. So it's decorated somewhat differently. Um and just for those folks out there, you know, Shining Time the set, the station set itself was huge and um quite tall and quite complex to put together. It was all in, you know, pieces on flats uh, and, you know, all put up by carpenters and whatnot and drywallers. And so it was, it was a whole it was a whole thing um, and pretty incredible to think that they did it several times. And I and this was sadly the last time that the set was was used was for the family specials. Um, and then I, I assume they filmed the back plates for Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales, too, at that time. Yes, I would think so for sure. And that kind of plays into the feel of the family specials is I think they knew that this was sort of the last hurrah for Shining Time Station proper. Yes. Uh, so maybe that's why, you know, they felt the need to to go all out with these and to have all these big guest stars come in is because they wanted to end it on a, a spectacularly high note, which I think they did. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I know Rick had said when when they reached the 65 episodes and finished series three, the kind of the feedback they got from their funders with was that that had kind of been enough. And there wasn't a lot of a lot more funding aside from Brit's kind of independent funding to uh, put into the show. And so mm-hmm. it is nice. It's really nice that they were able to kind of do this and, and have this as a treat for all the Shining Time fans a few years later. Um, there's a few little kind of trivia bits that I wanted to mention. One being that we get uh, Washboard Hank's third mm-hmm. guest appearance. <laughs> <laughs> as the one man band so he was in um our lovely season two all's fair that we reviewed um a couple episodes ago and he was in oh one in season three what was it mike uh he was in was it mr mr connector's fourth of july, fourth of july yeah. yeah and then he's back again here and i always really enjoyed him so it's nice to thank you hank um <laughs> yeah you know it is nice to he's not a, a central player or anything like that but it's always you know it gives a a little sense of familiarity whenever you see him kind of pop up again throughout the seasons yeah definitely definitely and uh just another little behind the scenes bit of trivia so the disappearing cowboy effect john allen who uh was a graphic designer is a graphic designer he worked on the show for the entire time it was in toronto and he actually did that effect. So what they did is they had him repaint a section of the mural where the cowboy was uh, and then put that over top and sort of with camera magic, you know, um, that that way they could do the effect. And he actually also painted the details of the new cowboy, Ned Kincaid, onto the existing mural uh, to represent, yeah, to represent Ned. And that those that stayed until the end of the series. So we actually did paint over the original. Oh, that's crazy. I, you know, I always wondered if, if there was like an alternate uh, mural that existed be- without the cowboy for this episode. <laughs> That'd be cool. But no, it was, yeah, it was a, a big chunk of canvas uh, oh, repainted man. and then kind of, and kind of put on and then removed uh, when, when Ned goes back into the mural at the end, which is like, so it's a, it ends on, a bittersweet note, I think. Um, Stacy is kind of sad, and then she she kind of accepts it. You know, she's closing up, and it's just there's something. Again, I have a really hard time describing this about Shining Time, but there's something very homey about when Stacy's like, "I'll lock up," and you know, she's just there, and then she bumps into a passenger, and then they walk off together. I always find endings like that very comforting in this station in particular. But again, it's something I can't put my Finger on. Oh, thank you, Billy. That's all right. You go on home now. I'll lock up. Good night, Stacy. Good night, Billy. You know what? I I think we definitely have to talk about Ed Begley Jr. because he he brings so much this special. He, he manages to blend himself in and you almost don't really recognize that he's this, you know, at the time and certainly now this big name actor, uh, you know, he, he manages to not make himself larger than anyone else in the grand scheme of the story. He fits in with everybody so well. And the character of Ned Kincaid is just so sweet and heartwarming. And even at the end, when he comes in as, you know, Ned's grandson. Uh, or great grandson, I believe. Um, 
you know, it's just it's so touching. And he he really brought so much to the table with this special. I, I can't really picture anybody else doing it, really. Either. And to be honest, this is my favorite special. Out of all of them. Yeah, I, I agree. One hundred percent. The uh, there are some some that tie for, uh, you know, they're they're very close second. But this one is definitely top notch for me. Uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. And um, we get nice guest appearances from the supporting characters. And sadly, this is our last appearance of Mayor Osgood Bob Flopdinger. That's the worst. <laughs> oh, I love, I loved him. I love, again, I, I still know. can't get over that line with the, um, the pie flopdinger. Pie flinger, I mean. I, <laughs> there was something about the mayor. Would, He's just so bumbling and so silly. And uh, they, they really lean into that with this special, too. I, I really love the scene at the start where J.B. King is, you know, talking about uh, these, these shoes that I'm wearing were once owned by the great john jacob astor and you just hear the mayor subtly in the background go oh uh who was he <laughs> you know? I know. like he's he's impressed but he doesn't know why <laughs> of like it's so random hearing you know jb king mention somebody who died on the titanic john jacob astor i'm like oh my gosh like it's, mm-hmm. he's trying to do all this name dropping and to get mm-hmm. the i get to win the prize win the costume contest um, yes, absolutely. And and you know what? I will say he does a pretty good Teddy Roosevelt, as was highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> he does. And I do like to, um, when there is a competition, a friendly competition at Shining Time, and everyone's sort of jockeying for the position, we got that in the in the other Tizagift special, and a little bit here, even though it's mainly sort of, uh, mainly sort of JB and, and Schemer, obviously, who's really set on winning mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. winning the money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's. It's very, uh, it's very touching that uh, that this is sort of the last appearance of of the mayor, and you know I'm I'm glad that you know as much as I wish that he appeared in the other family specials as well, I'm still glad that we get you know Midge and Ginny and <laughs> JV King throughout the rest of it as well. They do a good job doing what they do and and commenting on the scenes, and. Just to move on to before we go into ratings, the morals of the of the episode. So, are there any that kind of stood out to you, Mike? I mean, as we touched on before, I think one of the big things is you know, especially for kids, dealing with that feeling of abandonment or the threat of you know someone you love and care for suddenly not being around for whatever reason. I think choosing, and it's interesting that that they chose schemer to deliver that moral as opposed to one of the kids, which if this was a regular shining time episode from, you know, series one through three, absolutely. I think it would have been one of the kids, but having it be schemer is almost more impactful because kids have spent years seeing this character just kind of, you know, goof around and do these things that, you know, they, they feel the repercussions for, but then they're kind of right back to square one, the next episode. Yeah. But there's something about the fact that it's Schemer delivering the moral of this episode. It carries a lot of weight to it. And I think it really drives the point home. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't know if that's just because, you know, maybe it's the fact that maybe it shows kids that, oh, adults feel these things that I'm feeling too. Like, you know, it's it's not a matter of age. Everyone feels all of these things. And Schemer does portray that vulnerability quite well, I think. Because yeah, we learn well. that it's not so much about Stacy; it's just it's about him. 
he's you know he's worried about his own well-being he's worried about change as a lot of us are um and it also shows how deeply he cares about where he works and lives i mean not well he doesn't live at the station but he's there a lot (laughs) so he is and and the threat of it changing um really matters to him matters so much that he ends up doing these crazy things so we we again learn despite his silliness and all all the mix-ups he gets himself into he does have a heart under there and people know ned knew ned you know said give the money to schemer he'll know what to do mm-hmm. so i think he yeah knew the I, I, I like that yeah yeah um he yeah he knew that schemer had a heart he knew that you know there was uh some gold under that you know falling on your face obnoxious <laughs> attention-seeking man <laughs> um i had a few yeah and tied to that one of the morals that i sort of teased out was jealousy can easily get out of hand mm-hmm. um in general and usually has more to do with you who's being jealous than it actually does the, the you know the other person that you're focusing on um and that that's very well exemplified by schemer here um and I also put don't rush into things. And I suppose I, <laughs> you know, schemer in the train and whatnot. He's really being very reckless and careless. Um, and we get that really brought home by Stacey who says you should never, you know, play uh, with an engine or on the tracks or, you know, mm-hmm. people could have been hurt. And she's right. People could have died. Yeah, he's absolutely right. <laughs> it's when she says that you're like, yeah, I mean, if that train had crashed, it would have been horrific. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I also, I also sort of added people are not always what they seem in there. Um, just because of the relationship between Ned and Lily and Kara's slightly off color comment. (laughs) (laughs) Sure is. (laughs) Which again, we would sort of write, write a bit differently. Um, but I do, I appreciate they brought in more, more guest stars oh i know what i was going to mention before schemer's shoes his platforms i want those oh, red yes. platform shoes <laughs> i know you're always talking about billy's drip and billy looked pretty good in this episode too didn't you think he, he had the classic billy drip but we cannot deny that schemer was the drip king in this episode <laughs> he i mean i sometimes i'm really envious of ryan thinking about all the fun outfits that he got to wear like just wild stuff and the custom costumes we had just I, I want to mention Jewel Hallmeyer, who uh, is a really well-known costume designer. He worked on on all these family specials. Did a beautiful job with um, <clears throat> selecting the costumes, finding them in Toronto, having some made. Um, some were borrowed from Second City in Toronto when it was you know mm-hmm. it was a live back in the day. Some were from uh, Malabar, which is an old costume place here. And then some were from Jules' own private collection. And which actually he mentioned to me recently when I was chatting with him that he forgot to take them after he left. So they were left for the production oh. and are scattered to the wind somewhere. But no, no. thank you, Jewel, for your contributions. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder if uh, if Brian can confirm that he... Uh... He still has those platforms and and maybe he'll be so gracious <laughs> enough as to let you masquerade in them for a little while oh just God. to see how it feels. If he had them, I know he would have told me already. He, you know, funnily enough, when he was talking about his clothes and stuff he has, he's like he was he was lamenting the fact that his classic schemer shoes and socks that he wore, the you know those socks that were white with the brown blobs on them? They were very distinct. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the um the brown shoes, he said he wore those till they were basically falling apart. So, they're 
they're sadly oh, gone. But maybe, maybe you know, one of us will pop into a thrift store and on the weekend and <laughs> find schemers platforms. <laughs> be like, <gasps> although you said you were going to be Billy, right, for Halloween? Did you do that? Oh yeah. So you, I, I, I sadly did not. I did not have time to get the uh, the true Billy Two Feathers engineered drip in place. But next year, next year, it is totally on. Or, yes, you, I'm holding you to that. Um, for those who uh, are listening, we were recording this just shortly after Halloween. Um, I did not go as a Tiny Time character. I'd go as a cowboy, however, which was quite fun. So, which is very on theme with Ned Kincaid, I just realized. I, I was going to say, very fitting for this episode. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I was in Nashville a few weeks ago, and I picked up some boots and a hat. So, I was, uh, I was repping some Ned for y'all. Just... Uh, <laughs> just... <laughs> I apologize for anyone who is... A little bit is, of that uh, Kincaid swagger. <laughs> I apologize for anyone who's from Southern States. <laughs> or cowboys out there. I am just uh, I am just trying the best I can. Um, and on that lovely note, shall we move into ratings, Mike? I think we absolutely should. What would you rate this one at? Oh, I was just going <laughs> to ask you. Um, I <laughs> really as I said, really like this episode or the special, because mm-hmm. it is special, special, special. Uh-huh. It is. It's it, special, special. It really got the specials off to a bang. And I, I do like the other ones. There are some that I definitely like more than others, but this mm-hmm. just really, just watching it, even again today after having watched it a, a day or two ago, it gave me you know little shivers and little moments. So it's a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I would agree with that. This is one of the family specials that I I never get tired of. I can watch it over and over again, and it's still just it's such a feel good experience. And when you get to the final scene and the episode closes out, and Mister C blows out his candle before Aww. the credits, you know, it just it makes you feel good. It makes me feel so warm and happy inside, and it, it's just I I really love it. Um, I. I do agree that you know the other family specials are a lot of fun, but you know starting off with this one, they had a lot to live up to, and uh, and while some came close, I don't think any could really touch this one in terms of you know not only the station story but also the choice in Thomas stories and the choice in the jukebox songs, um, Ed Bagley Jr.'s appearance and and the character that he plays, it, it all comes together in such a really wonderful way. So. Uh, for that reason, I would give this one a 9.5 out of 10. Ooh, lovely. <laughs> you know, I think you've inspired me. I think I'm going to match your 9.5. Because oh, I was just having a thought that. that I was like, oh man, I think I think I gave a 9.5 to 1, but like I really, I really enjoy this special. It's so beautiful and such a lovely yeah. tribute to Shining Time. So I'm going to knock mine up a bit. Um, I agree. And I, I think the yeah. only reason that it's not a 10 is kind of as we discussed before, J.J. Uh, Silvers doesn't totally feel well integrated with the jukebox band. Um, it's a little bit startling that, you know, this is the return of Shining Time after the end of season three. And the first taste we get of our beloved jukebox band is they're rudely awoken by this uh, this rather uh, arrogant and, and boneheaded uh manager of theirs yeah. so yeah. um yeah i i think that if that was a little bit better integrated and again i understand that it was probably only really there to be the go-between 
uh, for Schemer and the band. But uh, if that had been integrated a little bit better, I think this would have bumped it up to a 10. But that's really the only thing I can fault it for. Yes, and I also really appreciate, just a nod to the producers of the of the series and the specials, um, that they brought back all the people that were so used to, not only the cast, but the crew, the faithful crew, and the writers too. So Brian McConaughey wrote this. He wrote the very first episode of season one. So it's just lovely that they've kept that consistency, and I think that shows. Uh, in these specials, mm-hmm. We don't get. I don't feel alienated as a viewer. I feel like they really are aware of the world and know um, how to how to move within it and how to craft a story that is mm-hmm. charming, familiar, but also new and exciting. So hats off to them and, and all the people involved. I think the crew at this point were really like a family, and I get the impression mm-hmm. that those involved were really moved and had a lot of fun. That's a message that I've heard from a lot of people I've chatted with, that they had a lot of fun working on it, even though it was busy and hectic and, you know, we need that yesterday as they always say. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Hi, I'm Ken Bianco Jr. from Train World, where we have the greatest selection of model trains and train sets. We also are proud to carry Bachman's full line of Thomas & Friends products. With a large variety of different brands and scales, we have the best items for your model train collection. You can find Train World on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can see our latest products and even be invited to all our events like Thomas Tuesdays. Visit TrainWorld.com today to find your next addition to your model railroad journey. But we are very excited to say that this concludes our first series of five episodes of our little tasters for everyone. And I hope that this has whet your appetite and uh and gotten you ready for us going through the whole series starting with the very uh the very first season again we're going to be we've we've kind of we went all the way forward and then we went back a little ways to right at the end of season one and then we're going to go all the way back and give you guys a very thorough and hopefully interesting and funny and surprising journey through the shining time universe Yes, indeed. It's going to be a, a fun retrospective, and I think uh, I think it's going to give us even more of an appreciation for the show, which I think is tough to say for two people who are very much Shining Time buffs, but yes. I always find myself finding new things that I love about these episodes when I rewatch them just for the podcast. So it's going to be a wild ride, everybody. It is. Well, and I have to say, Mike, I really enjoy doing it with you as well because I like hearing your perspective. It's so interesting hearing somebody else's you know, what you like, what you don't like, and then how it contrasts. I think that's exciting for me. Yeah, so thanks. Yeah, I, I agree. I love hearing your perspective on it too. And I feel like you've got so many so many good angles and so many good thoughts to bring to the table here that it does genuinely make me rethink things sometimes. So I think we're in for a good time, my friend. We are, and we will also try and keep it variety show-like. So there may be moments where we sing and dance, there may be. We, we are going to try and incorporate a few more special guests on. Um, let us know who you might like to see on the show, uh, mm-hmm. who you'd like to hear from. We'll bring on maybe some people who worked on the show, some other fans of the show who grew up with it and want to give their perspective. And keep mm-hmm. your ideas coming uh, and, and feedback because we really value it. And thank you so much for listening. Alrighty. I have been Adrian. I have been Mike. And this has been Time to Shine. We will see you all very, very soon. 
Bye. Goodbye, everybody. So long.